Galatians chapter 5 in your Bible this morning, and what a beautiful day and what a blessing to be with you. I enjoy serving the Lord, and I'm glad I get to serve you today, and y'all look good this morning. How many of you are here? Let me see your hand if you're here. All right, most of you are. If you're not, I hope you'll get here, and uh, we'd love to have you. What's your name, son? Josiah. I like your grandparents. My birthday is February the 12th, and uh, so send them a note and let them know that, all right? That's awesome. That was a good, good testimony there. Praise the Lord for that. I remember when I was in Bible college, uh, finances are always a, a big prayer, and I had a really close friend, and uh, I, uh, both of us spent a summer at Bill Rice Ranch in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, working, and that was a big deal for both of us because that meant it was a very low-income summer with a very uh, high-income fall, or a high-needy fall, you know, with the college bill and all. And both of us prayed all summer. Every morning at 7 a.m., our job was to raise a flagpole right in front of John Rice, uh, his, uh, his uh, tomb. And uh, so we'd walk up to Memorial Park and raise the flagpole, and then we would always pray. And one of our prayer requests was for our, bill, uh, our, 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 you know, our bills and our financial needs. And I remember two things that happened that really uh, was just startling to me. Most of my needs were met miraculously that year. I worked hard. I did work three jobs that semester. But as far as the extra needs that my jobs didn't meet were all met miraculously. And uh, my friend, Brother Dave, who's now a missionary, Brother Dave, uh, his needs were not met miraculously. All of his needs were met uh, with extra work and an extra semester of college because of it. And yet both of us, when we get together, look back and we know that even though my needs were met in a different way than his needs, God answered both of our prayers. He finished, I finished. And uh, we've both served the Lord, and uh, all these years we've seen God always meets your needs in one of three ways, you know. He either meets them through your work, He meets it through your savings, or He meets it in a miraculous way. And either one is valid. Did you know that? And so you keep praying about it and don't be discouraged. Finances are a part of life, and it's expensive to go to college and just keep, keep at it, keep, keep working, keep praying. Uh, you have a good God. You know that, don't you? And He loves you. I'll bring you greetings from my wife. Have I told you about my wife? Uh, I'm a happily married man and madly in love, and I bring you greetings from her, and sorry she can't be here, and I bring you greetings from my son. I just looked at my phone because my phone lit up, and my son, who's a pastor in California, just texted me and said, I love you, Dad, and I'm praying God will use you this morning, so I feel encouraged. I was blessed by that. I bring you greetings from him, and I failed to do something uh, over the last couple of days. I failed to introduce to you officially uh, my staff evangelist, Nicholas Anderson, and I think you've probably seen him, but Nick, just stand so they know for sure. And uh, this is Nick Anderson, and he travels with our team, and uh, I really appreciate this young man. And he's a Bible college grad, and the Lord's using him. He does our children's revival, works with teenagers in our meetings, and uh, does all kinds of things I ask him to do, and I really appreciate him. He's had quite a final ending to the year. Uh, Nick uh, grew up in a broken home, and his dad got saved a couple of years ago. Uh, finally, as he's rebuilt a relationship with his dad. He grew up with mom, not a real close relationship there, but mom's never been saved. But uh, he, uh, over December, we had the month kind of as a down month, he took my car to California to my son and picked up his car, which he had left because he grew up in California. And on the process of all the traveling, he was able to go visit his half-brother, and, and his half-brother got saved. And he was able to go visit an aunt and uncle, and they got saved. And his mother now lives in Las Vegas, and he swung by there and took her to a Christmas service at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas, and it opened the door for her to meet some Filipinos, and uh, she's Filipino, and they invited her over for Christmas Eve, and, and I think it was Christmas Eve, right? She got saved on Christmas Eve. 
And uh, so he's had quite a, quite a year, and uh, this is a good thing. I'm expecting more out of him this year after that kind of December. But uh, that's, uh, that was really great. And I'm really honored to serve you. Here's what we've been talking about. Remember, our first proposal from Galatians 5 is that you can't go wrong resting and rejoicing in the finished work of Christ. And you agree with that, don't you? And we learned as well that you cannot advance until you're aware of and address the failures of your life. That's what I talked to you about last night. And this morning, I want to go a little further and talk to you about the fact my third proposal from Galatians 5 is that you are not to be controlled by the works of the flesh. Uh, he's telling us in this passage that this is not how a Christian should live. If you'll permit me, I'll pick up in verse 16 this morning and begin reading here. Very familiar to us. Let's read. You follow along. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Is that not an encouraging verse? It's just kind of a, just a straightforward statement, isn't it? If you're walking in the Spirit, you can have victory over the flesh. Do you find that encouraging? And uh, just a phenomenal statement. Then in verse 17, he explains a battle here. The flesh lusteth, there's a key word, against the Spirit. The Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. It's easy to see the works of the flesh, and we too easily and too often battle them. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and the next three words, say them out loud, and such like. Just in case he overlooked your issue, he just wants you to know he means yours too, all right? And so he's not overlooking you. If you're not in the list, praise God, I'm good. I'm not in that list. He just adds to it. Well, there may be something else that I didn't mention, but I want you to know I mean that too. And I, I like that. And such like, he says, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we'll stop right there for the message this morning and go farther this afternoon in the text. But think for just a moment about the difficulties, the challenges we find in this passage. There are some real challenges, aren't there? Because he, he challenges us to think correctly about things like standards and our issues. I never want to think of the fact that, well, I'm really, I'm really a righteous man because I, I'm more saved because I, that, that's a challenge to us. We have to think through those very wisely, very carefully, and ask the Holy Spirit to help us. There's a couple of texts here that are, that are unique. In verse 4, he talks about falling from grace. That's a, a little bit of a challenge. Some of our brothers... Uh, in, in ministry and denominations, we'll take that to say, uh, these people were saved, but then they got mixed up in circumcision and the works of the law, and therefore they lost their salvation. Well, we know that when you have a difficult passage, the best way to understand a difficult passage is to compare, compare it and uh, explain it in light of the entire volume of the Word of God. So we know that he can't be talking about losing your salvation because the Bible teaches you can't do that. So he's, there's got to be a different explanation here. And, and what he wants you to know is it's entirely possible for you to be saved and allow your thought process and the things you begin to depend on as a Christian to cause you to come to a place where you're no longer living in the blessing and basking in the blessing of the grace of Almighty God. So it's a, it's a simple text, although it can be problematic sometimes. And you find another problematic text in what I just read to you. How many of you are aware of the fact that any one of us can battle the works of the flesh? How many of you all are aware of that? Are you all aware of that? Yes or no? Just say it out loud. Are you aware of that? Yes or no? All right. But you notice what he says? He says, if you do, uh, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's a problematic text, isn't it? 
So, whoa, 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 but sometimes I battle my purity. Does that mean I'm not saved? And there are people who would say, yeah, if you battle your purity, you're probably not saved. When I was in Bible college, they had a well-known evangelist come to chapel one day, and basically he preached that if you say you're saved, but you have a sin in your life, then it probably is evidence that you're not saved. In fact, he didn't say probably. He said it's evidence that you're not saved. And I know his heart. I know what he was trying to do. There, there are people that, that are just absolutely unconverted, and they're not right with God, and they're a bunch of heathen reprobates, and he was preaching hard to them to try to get them to recognize their sinful condition so they would be saved. But all the reprobates on our campus didn't get saved. You know, you know who struggled? Really sincere godly kids. The guys on my hall who were the most spiritual guys, they had devotions every morning. They desperately wanted to honor God. They desperately wanted to please God. They desperately wanted to do what's right. And now they're struggling. They came to me that evening in the evening. I don't know if I'm saved or not because I, Dave, I know that I profess faith in Christ, but I, 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 I'm defeated by this sin in my life. And so I, I, guess, I guess I need to get resaved. Well, that's not what he's saying here. He's not telling you that if you've got a battle with the flesh in your life that you're not saved, that's not the point of this passage. You gotta, you gotta think cl clearly about this. But it's also true, it's also true that any one of us can battle the works of the flesh. And the point Paul is trying to make is that's no way to live. That's no way to live. That's just no way to live. I keep saying that to teenagers all over the country. You always, uh, teenagers are, well, you know what? I, I, I wanna live this way or I wanna try that, all right? It, it, listen, living like the world is no way to live. You know that, don't you? Allowing sin into your life is no way to live. Being defeated by the flesh is no way to live. That's not how people that inherit the kingdom of God live. God's plan for your life is victory. Do you believe that? God's plan for your life is that you have victory over your sin and you bask in the blessing and the joy of freedom. I'm free from sin. I, I, I'm, I'm rescued. God's done a deliverance in my life. But it's also true that one of the things every one of us experience is a battle with the flesh. And, and you always will. You always will. And you've got to learn how to handle it correctly. Uh, if it's true that I'm not to be controlled by the works of the flesh, then what are we going to do about them? And I want to give you two answers, and I'll be done this morning. Let's begin by identifying them. Where is sin at work in your life? This is my first question. Identify it. Where is sin at work in your life? Did you notice that in verse 17? The flesh lusts against the Spirit. How many of you are saved on your way to heaven? Let me see your hand. You're saved? All right. How many of you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? All right. How many of you, how many of you know there's a battle going on in your life? Do you know that? The flesh lusts against the Spirit. That's a, that's a fairly normal experience in our lives. And they're, they're contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Does that remind you of Romans 7 where Paul said, you know the things I wish I did, I don't do them. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. And the things I ought not to do, I end up doing them. Uh, woe is me. There's something wrong in my life. There was something wrong in the Galatians' life because they were not only battling the works of the flesh, they were failing in the works of the flesh. And it's easy for me and you to do. Uh, what, what is it in your life? Where's your battle? Do you know where it is? Is it purity? That's a big one, isn't it? Have you ever noticed that any times the Bible starts listing the works of the flesh, always at the top of the list are purity issues? It's true in Colossians, true in Ephesians. When he lists the battle you and I can have as a result of the fact that we are cursed by sin, when he lists that battle, always top of that list is purity. And this is no exception. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. The Bible talks about this over and over again, doesn't it? In Proverbs, keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. Uh, how many of you are aware of the fact that you've you, you got to be diligent in this this issue of purity, you've got to be diligent. The devil wants to destroy you. He's pretty good at it, isn't he? He destroys people greater than me and you. 
There are, there are, there are some pretty, pretty prominent people that are destroyed. One of the sad things of what I do in ministry is be around the stories of destroyed lives because of this work of the flesh. I have, I have a friend, and, and just seeing his picture, seeing his picture in a newspaper, in a police report, was devastating. He's a homeschool kid, Christian college grad, servant in a fundamental, separated, soul-winning, Bible-believing, wonderful church. And he's also in prison because of the work of the flesh. This is a serious matter. And, and, and it's, a, it's a battle in many of our lives. And you know why sometimes it's easy for me and you to ignore the work of the flesh when it comes to purity? Because right now, and I say this gently because it's, it's not true, but it's how we tend to think. Well, right now it's not that big a deal. When I'm preaching to a teenager and a teenager is on his phone uh, battling some issues that anybody would know that it's wrong, uh, here's why a teenager often doesn't take it too seriously, because it's not that big a deal, he thinks. It's not like his wife is leaving him. It's not like it's hurting his grades. He still goes to church. He still carries a Bible. All is well. But the one thing we've got to know is that the works of the flesh are strong enough to destroy us. This is what he's talking about in Galatians 5. It's a real battle you and I have. There's a war going on, and I'm asking you to identify your battle. How many of you are aware of the fact that when it comes to purity matters, God's standard is pretty high? In fact, it's over the top. Have you read Ephesians 5 lately? You're in Galatians 5. Hold your place and turn the page to Ephesians 5. And just, just notice something I learned in Ephesians 5. When it comes to God's standard of purity, he says in verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once. Say that, say that out loud. Let it not be once. Say it. Let it. You know what the Bible's trying to tell you right there? Here's God's standard, not one time. Here's God's standard, not one time. Not one time should impurity be a part of my life as a child of God. How many of you are aware of the fact that that is an incredibly high standard? How many of you are aware of that? Are you aware of that? And how many of you are aware of the fact that in our world today, it seems like an impossible standard? Uh, you have a TV in your life? That's an impossible standard. You ever go to the mall? That can be an impossible standard. God's standard, regardless of the culture we live in, is still the same. It's higher than you and I tend to think. God doesn't want us to say, you know, sometimes I battle purity. No, no, here's what God wants. Not at all. Not at all. Not one time is that a part of my life. That's God's standard. The standard, my dad would say it like this. I told you about my dad and his one-liners. My dad would say, I better never catch you doing that. I better never catch you doing that. I'll rain up. I'll cloud up and rain all over you. That was my dad's way of saying it. And uh, I, I know what that means. I better never catch you doing that. I better never catch. God's saying right here, better never. You're my child. I better never catch you doing that. It's a high standard. How many agree this is a high standard? It's a high, not one time, not at all, never, not one time. If there's ever been a culture that finds that standard difficult to live, it's got to be ours. You have a phone, then you're going to have a battle with that standard if you're not wise and walking in the Spirit. You have a tell, you're going to have a tell. Well, I'm just tell you, I, I know the Bible doesn't say, Thou shalt this not as heaven as a television as that is. <laughs> but I, I'm just telling you, it's, not a, it's, it's probably, probably a wise thing not to have one today. Just, could, can you survive without a TV? Well, you can, because I do. Uh, I, uh, you know, it's not wrong to watch TV. Are there things on television you can watch? You can watch the news. I don't recommend it. 
The five leading causes of depression in the United States of America are CBS, ABC, CNN, FOX, and so forth. Those are leading causes of depression. Did you know if you did not have a clue who Nancy Pelosi was, you could die happy? <laughs> you don't have to know the news. Well, I've got to have a television so I can know the weather. No, you don't. I've got, I got to tell you, it's going to be cold. And I, I, don't even, I don't even live here, but I know it's going to be cold. Just, just, you don't need to know. You don't have to watch the news. So, well, I need to know if it's going to snow. No, you don't. You're in the north. It snows. Life goes on. <laughs> now, if you live where I do, it might be a big deal. When I grew up in Tennessee, if it snowed one sixteenth of an inch, they canceled school for three years. <laughs> and, you know, we're out of school. And if they even announced it was going to snow, they canceled school. And uh, they do that where we live. It cracks me up. And I, I read this week. I live in Florida in Santa Rosa County, Pensacola is Escambia County. That's the county next to us, but I live over in the redneck side of our community. Uh, we live where the, the, you know, the, the country people live, and, and I read this week that I live in the snowiest county in Florida. And I was like, well, what about that? Because I've lived there a long time and have never seen snow. <laughs> but if it's going to snow in Florida, it's going to snow in my county, apparently. And I'm like, well, isn't that encouraging? And, and so, so here's the whole thing. You, you don't need a TV in your life. Uh, and God's standard is high enough that it's wise for me and you to think that way. You, you better, or is it wrong to watch a movie? Well, not necessarily. Can you watch a movie that's appropriate, that's okay, that's, that, that there's no way you're violating anything biblically? You can, but you know almost nobody does. Almost nobody does. Our, our generation thinks nothing about slamping a movie in, going to a movie theater, and violating God's perfect standard here. His standard is way higher than your generation and mine things. And it's not just your generation, it's mine too. I mean, I'm almost 50, so I'm a little older than you guys. But I'm just telling you, every generation alive right now has lowered this standard. But God's standard about the works of the flesh is astronomically high. It is really, well, you know, I, I, sometimes, no, God doesn't want to sometimes. Not one time is God's standard. Y- y'all see that in the text? That's a high standard. He even lays out here, and I, I won't park on it for time, but I, I read in the text that there's not one time in the fifth verse there shouldn't be one idol. In the sixth verse there shouldn't be one deception. I shouldn't allow any deception in my life. Uh, in the eleventh verse there should be no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And in verse 12, not one word. So my little outline there, what's God's standard for my purity? Not one time, not one idol, not one deception, not one fellowship, not one word. That's a high standard. Is that your battle, purity? God's standard's pretty high, ladies and gentlemen. In fact, it's, it's can I say this? It's an impossible standard, which is why he says in the text, you've got to walk in the Spirit and learn to allow the Holy Spirit to help you in a culture like ours to do what you can't do. You, you, you can't do it on your own, but the Holy Spirit can help you and lead you. Did you know that you can, in this generation, live a life of purity? I'm, I'm going to say that again because you need to hear it. You can. You can. See, yeah, but I've already blown it. Yeah, but you can get the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus Christ that we sang about this morning, and not one time in your life from this point on you can live God's standard. This is what God expects out of us. Are you all with me this morning? We're talking about the works of the flesh. God's, God's plan in your life in Galatians 5 is that you not be controlled by the works of the flesh. Some of you battled it long enough. You need to move on in the power of the Holy Spirit and get victory over this area of your life. God's standard is astronomical. That little not one idol is confusing a little bit, isn't it? What does it mean not to have an idol in my life? Well, you know, an idol is anything that comes between me and my God. And some of you, your purity is the very thing that hinders you from being everything God wants you to be. You're drawn back to a battle you had when you were a teenager. 
and you're drawn back to it, and you're drawn back to it, and, 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 and it's, it's just an ongoing, it's time, it's time, you, it's time you get victory over this area of your life. Not one time is God's there, not one idol. Uh, I heard a sermon on idols some months ago, and I went to a couples retreat. I preach couples retreats, and uh, my, my wife and I have been married for 26 years, and we've never been to a couples retreat as the attender. I've always been the speaker. Uh, until this year, this past 19, 2019, we went to a couples retreat. Just said, well, let's go to a couples retreat. So we went to our church's couples retreat, and uh, I sat at a table, the first service, and there was a couple to my right that I, I had never seen before. So this is my church. Here's a couple. I've never seen them. Now, it could be that they're new members, and they joined since the last time I was home. I'm an evangelist. I rarely go to my church. As long as I tithe, pastor's okay with that. And uh, so I'm sitting at my table. So we introduced ourselves to this couple, and we asked questions, got to know them. Well, yeah, they've been a member of their church longer than we have. But he honestly, he said to me, honestly, we, 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 we don't go that often. Yeah, I'm a businessman. He said, I'm in the financial world. And uh, we're three hours from Tallahassee. He said, a lot of my clients are over in Tallahassee. And, and Sundays I do, you know, I, I come to church when I can. But I have two kids, and Sunday's our family day, and I combine it with a work day. I take my two kids over to Tallahassee, and we play around, and we go out to eat, and we watch a movie. But I also meet with some clients because we make a lot of money on Sunday. And, and, you know, he's just sharing this with me at the table. And uh, the next day uh, he was sitting at another table over there right in front of where the speaker was. And because people are moving around, getting to know other people. And he's sitting, I'm sitting at the same table, but he's sitting over there. And the preacher was speaking. And uh, I, I'll never forget this. The, the preacher speaking on idols, idols that hurt your marriage and idols that hurt your family. And he's preaching about idols. And he said, uh, no, he said, just, just take for a moment. He said, and he comes off the platform and he puts his hand on this guy's shoulder. The guy that just told me that, you know, on Sundays he goes to Tallahassee to make money and spends that day with his kids rather than go to church. And I'm not making this up. He goes, now let's just, for illustration, he said, I don't know this guy, but let's just assume that here's a guy and he's got two kids. And I'm like, okay. And he goes, and let's just assume he's in the financial world. I'm like, you are a man of God. <laughs> and he goes, and let's just assume here's a guy who says, you know what, I know the Lord and I love the Lord, but I, I don't need church all the time. You know, Sunday's a good day to make some extra money and to have a family day with the kids. And let's just say he spends part of the day with his kids and part of the day making money and he's not faithful to church. Think about the damage he's going to do in his life because of these dumb idols in his life. And I really was sitting over there going, he is a man of God. The guy is a man of God. And the other thing I was thinking was, man, I feel sorry for that guy. And I was like, how can you imagine how he felt? And uh, Sunday morning, he was in church with his kids. And, and, uh, and I was thinking, man, I would be too. I mean, I was like, God was ringing his doorbell repeatedly. But, but the fact is, a lot of times, purity's an idol in our life, isn't it? And, and we allow it to hinder us, our walk with God. Some of you... Maybe over the, the break, it, an old habit starts coming back up in your life. And what Paul is saying right here is we've got to identify our battle. Is it purity? Notice in the text, before in, in Galatians 5, look in Galatians 5. Notice in the text, there, there's, there's, a, there's a word play here that's unique to me. In verse 17, he uses the word lust. The flesh lusts against the spirit. And notice that the flesh lusting against the spirit leads to the works of the flesh in verse uh, verse uh, 19. Verse 17, what is a lust in verse 19 becomes a work. What is a desire in verse 17 becomes a work in verse 19. And I've noticed that, that, that paradigm several times in the Word of God. Before you ever get to the work of the flesh, the devil is already working your life in the area of lust, the desires of the flesh. 
See, somebody here this morning, you're, you're doing okay, but there is still a little desire in your heart. You're, you know, you know, I wish, you know, I wish, you know, and, and you got that little thought process going on, a little preoccupation with an ear. Nobody knows about it, and it's not really doing any damage to you. It's just a lust right now. But I promise you, lust, lust will lead to work. And he's wanting you to recognize that here, which is why you get to Ephesians 5 over there where it was a moment ago, and he makes a, he makes a strange statement. He says, uh, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be one time named among you. Let it not be once named among you. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient. And then he says this, but rather giving of thanks. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let me think that again. Don't let fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, jesting, foolish talking, all that. don't let all that junk into your life. Instead, be thankful. I'm like, what? what? This doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I understand, don't let the garbage in your life. But the opposite of the garbage in your life is, be thankful. Is that not unusual? But it's so worth our thinking. You know what it tells us? We believe ourselves to be deserving because we're not thankful for what God's given us. Things like this. You know, I deserve my personal time. I deserve to relax. I deserve to look at a little something, don't I? It's not the end of the world. I deserve it. I deserve to be angry. You don't know what? I deserve to be bitter. I deserve to be harsh. I, I, I deserve to go in debt if it'll make me happy. We live our lives by our lusts. I, I, I deserve it. And those lusts lead us to unthankfulness. I'm no longer, you, know, you know the gender issue problem in our society is a really weird issue, isn't it? Who would have ever thought, I am 50 years old on my next birthday, and never in a million years would I have thought that I would have to talk to teenagers wisely and cautiously about the issue of gender identity. I mean, when I first started, if you had even said, did you know that there are some girls who think they're guys? People would have been like, no. But now I... I have to be wise how I say it because when I preach to teenagers, most of them know somebody who is battling whether or not they're a guy or a girl, even though they're a guy or a girl. Well, what's the issue there? It's unthankfulness. When people come to a place where they no longer are thankful for what God has given them and how God has made them and how God has designed them and the roles and responsibilities that God has given them, their unthankfulness will lead them to a, I say this gently, a stupid way of living just like it will in your life. I read a book on purity not long ago, and the, 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 the basic premise of the book was this. Impurity is stupid, and purity is wise. And you know, this is a good way to say it. I wrote it down. I wrote it down and memorized it. Impurity is stupid. I always felt uncomfortable saying that word because we never let our kids say that word. Our kids could not say that word. They, they were not permitted to say that word. And if my kids were right here right now on the back row, they'd all be looking at me going... Because we would let them say that word. So I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant about that word, but I read it in a book, okay? So I'm quoting a book. I'm not saying it. I'm quoting a book, all right? And I'm quoting Brother Harold because Brother Harold made us say it out loud from the platform the other night. And it made me chuckle because the little boy in front of me looked at his mom and dad like Brother Harold was using a bad word. And he was like... And I'm like, we are among people of God. I just know it, okay? And, and yet it is true, isn't it? It's a stupid way to live, to be unthinkable. I... Uh, 
I'm just amazed at the word. We believe ourselves to be deserving. That's a work of the flesh. That's the foundation of where it comes from. We allow ourselves to become deceived. We think, I, I deserve my time. I deserve my downtime. I deserve to relax and watch this movie. I, I deserve it. I deserve it. I'm unthankful. I deserve it. It's where it starts. The flesh lusting against the spirit shows up in a practical way. I deserve my time. I deserve to look at this. I deserve to enjoy that moment of escape. And then it continues on because I become deceived in it. Which is why in Ephesians 5, he warns us about that. We do live in, a, in a, an hour of great deception, don't we? Love is love is one of those deceptive mantras of our generation. Love is love. How, am I, how can I say that two men can't be together if they love each other? Well, I can say that because God has a better way. The highest expression of human love is not sexuality. The highest expression of human love is sacrifice. Because Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man do what? Laid on his life for his friends. Love is love. For crying out loud, some people say in our meetings. This one cracks me up, and you guys wouldn't have a problem with it, but it shows the deception of our hour. For crying out loud, you people have so many kids. You know how many times I've heard that? I only have five. I mean, like, compared to some people in your church, we're, like, liberal. <laughs> we only have five kids, and we just have five. We're just, we're such failures. We only have five kids. We wanted ten. God didn't give us ten. He only gave us five. And, 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 and yet, what, where did we get this deceptive thinking? Oh, my word. Can you believe they have such a big family? When we had three, a lady said to us one day, what are you guys thinking? And I'm a kind evangelist because what I wanted to say was, why is it any of your business? <laughs> Ma'am, if I want to have 27 kids and beat the Duggars, I will, Okay. Isn't it weird how deceptive our world is in their thinking? And, and, and most of us wouldn't have that. You know, I, I meet married people who are saying, well, I just, I just want to say we're better off divorced. Yeah, because you're deceived. You're deceived. You're not thankful for what God's given you, and, and you're failing by the works of the flesh. It started by your lust. You want something you're not supposed to have biblically, and the next thing you know, you're deceived into thinking it's okay. I deserve to look at that. And you know what? It's not the end of the world if I do. It's just a little thing. He's talking about right where you and I live in the culture of our day. The works of the flesh are destroying us. We're damaged so severely by it. We allow ourselves, we believe ourselves to be deserving. That shows up in our unthankfulness. We allow ourselves to be deceived. We, we, we have to be careful. Sometimes we, we can come to the place where we think, you know what, I finally arrived. I, uh, I'm finally spiritual. I finally have all my standards down, and I'm, so I have arrived. And the devil can use that kind of thinking to deceive us into thinking, you know what, I'm good now. So I can, I can quit worrying about things. I, I don't have to be diligent and, and disciplined and, 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 and on guard. I'm okay now. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good now. I mean, I'm good now. You know, I wish my brother were better, but I'm, I'm good. It's easy to deceive yourself. It's a work of the flesh. Um, we, we so easily turn to darkness in our culture, don't we? We laugh at adultery. Our entertainment chuckles at the funny gay guy. We're amused by violence. We allow things like our computers and our iPads and our cell phones to separate us from those around us. We, we, we turn to darkness. We're failing in a big area of massive importance. You say, well, yeah, but I'm, I'm not an adulterer. Yeah, well, some of you really are battling your purity because God's standard is higher than yours. God's standard is not one time. Not one time. 
And I don't want to beat you up about it, but I'm telling you, you've got you to get with God's standard. God's plan is to take the Holy Spirit and move into your life and the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God. And I'll preach about this more this afternoon. But God's plan is for the power of the Holy Spirit to take the power of the Word of God and give you full victory. But you start by identifying your area of failure, the work of the flesh. Is it purity or is it this? Is it jealousy, envy, bitterness, anger, or gossip? Is, is, you say, well, I'm doing fine in my purity. I got really high standards. But, but are you battling are you battling variance, strife, or emulations, jealousy, or, or some outbursts of anger, wrath, or strife, that self-seeking, selfish ambition? My son has a roommate in Bible college, and uh, he is adamant. This is my part of the room. Don't you sit in my chair. This is my chair. That is my iron. Okay, no, no, if, if it's a rule, abide, abide by the rules. But, but do you live a life of selfish ambition? It's mine. It's mine. Don't cross my line. Are, are you full of strife? Do you, do you spend your time arguing with all your roommates about the finer points of theological debate? Some of you have hurt feelings at each other because you disagree over an issue. And, and you got strife. It's a work of the flesh. You're not full of love. You're full of strife and envy. Any jealousy here? I battled with that one a lot. Jealousy. I remember when I first started preaching in Bibles and evangelism. My wife and I, we got married, and we had a little one-bedroom apartment, and we had a, a Grand Am, a two-door Grand Am, Pontiac Grand Am, tiny little car, and uh, she had more luggage than would fit in my car, so I bought a car-top carrier for her stuff. I, uh, I, you know, some of my friends are like, well, I'm saying right now my wife is taking one pair of shoes. Uh, I decided, well, we're going to travel on the road. If she wants 100 pair of shoes and she'll travel happily, she can have 100 pair of shoes. I go the other way around that. I mean, I said, fine, praise God. You want to bring 12 dresses? I'll put a car top carrier and we'll do it. And I just do it happily. I want my wife to love serving the Lord with me in evangelism, so I'll do whatever I have to do, which is why I have a 40-foot RV. I hate RVs. <laughs> RV can also be spelled C-A-R-N-A-L-I-T-Y. It's carnality. Because <laughs> if you want to find an evangelist having a bad day, probably something's wrong with the RV. <laughs> and, 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 but why do I have an RV? Because I love my wife. I mean, I'm, I'm in love with that lady. So we had this little grand dam. We had this, you know, this, this um, we're just barely surviving. I had this revival, this church that ran a thousand, and I was so excited. I drove 15 hours to get there. The church ran a thousand. I was just a young preacher. I was just, I was elated. Now, I didn't preach in the church. I, they had a small Bible college. I preached three times in the Bible college, three times in the Christian school revival, and three times in the youth revival. I preached nine times in three days, three times a day for, for three days. They, uh, I paid my own way there. And I stayed in the, uh, a home with this guy who was not very clean, and, uh, but we stayed there. And uh, so there was really very, we paid our own meals. And at the end of the meeting, the pastor gave us an envelope, the youth pastor rather, gave us an envelope. And he said, uh, hey, uh, he said, uh, here's a little thank you for coming. And he says this, he says, I wish it were more. So he said, well, I had no idea that I was going to agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> we pulled off the property and I handed my wife a check. I handed it, it was an envelope. We never looked, it was our, our standard. You never look at the offering on the property. You drive off and then you look at it. And so we're driving in our little grand dam. So I handed it to her and I said, here, here. See, we were living moment by moment, day by day. We're, we're, we're not, we don't have any money in the bank. I don't even think we had a credit card at that time. We're just, we didn't have a cell phone. I mean, I don't know how we survived. Uh, but we, we're just traveling, serving the Lord happily. And she opens it and she goes, well, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, how much? I mean, it's the biggest church I've ever preached in. How much? She goes, it's $100. And I go, no, really, how much? 
<laughs> she goes, no, really. It's $100. So I stopped in the middle of the road. <laughs> and, uh, and it really was. We're now in debt. We spent more money getting there than we did leaving. And I was like, what in the world? My friend Bill Rice called me a few days later and said, hey, how did it go at such and such church? That must have been exciting for you. I said, yes, it was. He said, did they give you a good offering? So well, they gave me one. He said, how much was it? It's none of your business, okay? I said, well, they gave me one. He said, how much was it, young? I said, well, they gave me one. I said, how much was it? I said, it was $100. I'll never forget this. He goes, oh, well, probably more than you deserved. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Excuse me? Good thing he was over there in Tennessee and I was in Arizona. Because I probably would have, you know, had, you know, some, some choice responses to that. I go to my next meeting, this tiny little church in a living room planted by a Spanish guy. We had a high attendance of 74 and 14 adults saved that night. People had nothing. They put us in the nicest bed and breakfast I've ever stayed in at Great Sacrifice. When I left, he gave me this business size envelope like this thick with $1,400 in cash. And I remember driving away and just in awe. God was meeting my needs, but I was still battling jealousy. Went that summer to the Bill Rice Ranch. I'm sitting at the Bill Rice Ranch and a friend of mine, a young evangelist, and uh, he pulls up in his brand new Ford pickup that somebody had bought him. I, I'm a better preacher than he is. <laughs> and I'm a lot better looking. Somebody buys him a truck? I, I, I got to tell you, that was a real work of the flesh in my life. Jealousy. And I struggled. Why, why, why would somebody buy him a new truck? I'm almost 50. Nobody's ever bought me a new truck. They bought him one. Jealousy is a terrible way to live. The work of the flesh always is. God doesn't want you to live your life. It was a happy day in my life when I finally came to the point that I can rejoice. God buys you a new truck. I can hug your neck and jump up and down and say, isn't that awesome? God just gave him a new truck. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? We finally come to the place in our life where, where I, li I like to buy people things. When I have extra money, let me, let me help you. I got a friend right now who's got a new truck, and, and I help pay the down payment on it. Just because just there's no jealousy anymore. God, God, God wants us to defeat these works. Am I making sense or not? God wants us to defeat the work. Is yours purity or is it jealousy or strife? Is it, is it by chance there's a critical spirit? Isn't that a real work of the flesh? You, uh, friends, you can't know a, mo a motive. You can't know a person's motive. And sometimes we think like this. I'll tell you, I know why he said that. I'll tell you, I know why he wrote that. I know why he's doing that. I know, I know. You and I can wind up children of God, godly people, with a work of the flesh in our life. We have a critical spirit. Sometimes it's, um, it's an unresolved conflict or a broken relationship that we are not repairing. Do you know that God's people ought to get along? Do you know that we ought to love each other? Do you know that we ought to be for each other? If I get my feelings hurt, and I have a problem with you. You know what I find in the Bible? The Bible teaches me if I've offended someone and I haven't made it right between me and them, then I'm not right. 
The Bible also tells me if someone is offended at me and I know it, but I don't go to them and try to make it right, then I'm not right. Somebody says, well, if they'd come to me, I'd make it right. No, 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 you're to go to them. See, but I didn't do anything wrong. They did, right, but you're to go to them because they're offended. You and, I are to, you and I are to be right with God. Uh, identify your work. I'm going to close here in a moment. Identify your work of the flesh. Because what he's telling us in the passage right here is, don't you know that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh? Don't you know there's a battle going on and the devil's going to use this battle to destroy and damage and hurt you and stop you from having God's blessings and favor and joy and victory in your life? Identify. That's number one, identify. And I'm going to close here very, very shortly. Identify it, but number two, defeat it. Uh, by identify, I mean, I mean, where is sin at work in your life? And number two, by defeat it, I mean, decide to return to the Bible's answers. How long has it been since you took your battle with the flesh seriously? Sin promises happiness, but can only deliver harm. Sin promises us joy, but can only deliver sorrow. Sin promises us peace, but can only deliver turmoil. Sin promises us fun, but can only deliver failure. Sin promises us freedom, but can only deliver bondage. So take it seriously. Don't you think he's trying to say to the church at Galatians right here, God doesn't want you to live a life of adultery and fornication and uncleanness and lasciviousness and idolatry and witchcraft and hatred and variance and emulations and wrath and strife and seditions and heresies and envies and murders and drunkenness and revelings and all that. That's not how God wants you to live. Take it seriously. I'm not to battle. I'm not to be defeated. I'm not to allow the works of the flesh to undermine what God wants to do in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God's Word. Does that make sense? So defeat it. Defeat it. Take it seriously. Run to the Spirit for His power and help. Verse 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If there's one thing you and I are learning and have to continue to learn is that I can't. I can't. I can't maintain a standard when the standard is not one time. <laughs> I can't ma maintain a standard of no jealousy when others are blessed more than I am. I can't maintain a standard of having a sweet spirit when so many people around me are wrong. It's hard to maintain the standard. You can't do it. But he says you can run to the Spirit. You can be filled with the Spirit. I'll preach more about that this afternoon. He tells us in Galatians 4 when he talks about the illustration of Abraham's son of the bondmaid and son of the free woman. He says in the 30th verse, What saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. The illustration here is you and I have got to cast out the works of the flesh. I've got to make changes in my life. The Holy Spirit will lead me to be practical. My family, you know what I did several years ago that changed our family? I uh, determined we weren't going to watch TV in it, in, anymore. And we weren't even that, we weren't even, we didn't even watch it that often. I grew up without a TV and a television drives me nuts. If the TV is on, it just, it just it, it, it irritates me. I didn't have that in my life. But I didn't unplug it because it was irritating. I, I unplugged it and removed it because I realized that it, it's impossible to maintain God's standard with this thing sitting in my living room turned on sometimes. And the Holy Spirit led me to have victory in that area. Do, do you understand? What, what changes would you have to make? Cast out the bundle. You could have a funeral. I like Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm dead, but I am alive. In order to be alive in Christ, you've got to have a funeral. You gotta die to the flesh. You gotta die to the you gotta put to death the works of the flesh. Is there anything in your life you ought to put to death? Is there a jealousy? It's time to kill it. 
Is there a critical spirit? It's time to kill it. Is there a purity battle that you're allowing? It's time to have a funeral. It's time to get a coffin out. It's time to mortify the deeds of the flesh. What's he trying to tell? There's no way to live. This is not God's plan for your life. That you're defeated, that you're damaged, that you're destroyed, that you're battling. This is not God's plan. You do have the Word of God. You do have the Holy Spirit. You live in a culture where everything possible is thrown at us in this generation. That is a continual bombardment and temptation to be destroyed and to give in to the works of the flesh. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not God's standard for you. That's not God's plan for you. He's given you His Spirit. He's given you His Word. He's given you His church. He's given you His power. And it is time that you and I take our works of the flesh seriously enough to cast them out and to put them to death and to start walking in the Spirit so we can have the victory over every work of the flesh in our lives. Have I made sense? All right, so what's yours? What, what would you have to do to put to death the work of a flesh, of the flesh in your life. Is there somebody you have to get right with? Then it's time to ask the Holy Spirit to help you get right with them. Is there, is there, is there a standard that you need to raise? For me, um, I have a smartphone over here and an iPad right here, and everything on them is filtered through the Covenant Ice program. I have to have a standard, a filter. Our home is controlled by a wireless system that filters everything that comes through it and gives me a report every morning on what every device connected to the internet in my family has been looking at. My report goes three times a week to three different people, including my wife, a staff member, and an accountability partner in Southern Florida. I, I, I want to defeat the works of the flesh. The Holy Spirit's very practical. The Holy Spirit's very, very practical. Say, well, I'm just going to be filled with the Spirit and hope for the best. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit will lead you to raise a standard in your life so you can have victory over the works of the flesh. The Holy Spirit will lead you to make something right with somebody so you can have victory over the works of the flesh. God's plan is wonderful. You know what he's trying to say in this text? That's no way to live. Don't you know that people that live like that aren't even going to inherit the kingdom of God? That's no way for a child of God to live. You can walk in the Spirit. You can raise a standard through the power of the Spirit. You can live a life of absolute victory. Now, how do you give an invitation after service like this? Because it's kind of personal, isn't it? It's kind of personal. Would there be something you'd need to pray about? Would there be something you'd need to ask the Spirit of God to fill you and lead you to give you victory over? Then you should. You should. Father, give us wisdom.